You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to season three, episode six of the Together in Literacy podcast. I'm here with Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi, Casey. And we have a very special guest with us today. We're very excited to talk to her. But before we do, we always like reading some feedback from our lovely listeners. And this was one that I received on Instagram. It's from Sarah. And she said, I've been a teacher for 13 years and my son was diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD two years ago when he was six at the time. Y'all's podcast was the first thing I found when I found out and was seeking all the information about dyslexia. I'm now getting my classroom educator level with OG and currently going through my practicum and will be teaching in a specialized classroom for dyslexic learners next year. I soak up everything you and Emily say, thank you. Well, Sarah, that is such a lovely review and feedback. I'm so excited that she sent that to me, but I just am really excited about her journey into learning more about dyslexia and going through that practicum. That is such a valuable experience to have and really does lead you on a path to truly serve the students. So I'm excited. That practicum is such an exciting time, Sarah. So we wish you the best of luck on that. And, you know, it's so funny how so many educators that we speak to that go into helping children with dyslexia are based on their personal experiences, maybe with their own children. And I noticed that with Sarah as well. So, but thank you for reaching out with that beautiful feedback. We, we just really appreciate that. And I think when parents have a student with dyslexia and then they kind of go on that path, they also become really big advocates. And I think for today's episode, that's something for everyone to really tune into. So yes, absolutely. And I don't know whether people know those or not, but we are on Instagram. We together in literacy does have an Instagram page. So give that a a follow if you have a minute and we're also on Facebook. So in addition to the website, we, we do have social media presence. So thank you for that. All right. So I'm here to welcome our guest, Jennifer Bernheim. And Jennifer is from Right to Read Advocacy. And let's speak a little bit about how she got into all of this advocacy work. So she is the founder of Right to Read Advocacy. As the mom of a dyslexic learner, Jennifer knows how challenging it can be to navigate the special education process in a public school district. And she helps parents demystify this overwhelming process and empower them to support their child's needs. 
Her recent education includes the Orton-Gillingham Academy subscriber course and rights law special ed law and advocacy training. She has completed the esteemed Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates, or COPAA, special education and advocacy training 1.0 course and is currently enrolled in seat 2.0. Jennifer adheres to COPAA's advocacy, Advocate Voluntary Code of Ethics. And uh, Jennifer also has a master's degree in communication studies from University of Rhode Island and lives in Connecticut with her husband, three children, and Australian Labradoodle. And we always love when people mention their dogs because we're all, we're both dog lovers here on Together in Literacy. <laughs> we're big dog lovers. Okay. So Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to talk with you today. And I would just love to know a little bit more about how you started with your journey into advocacy work. Sure. Like many, my journey started because of my own experience, right? Trying to navigate the special education system in the public school district. So I, like, again, many had a front row seat to my child's education during COVID. So my now fourth grader was then in kindergarten. And I just remember the very long days of sitting on Zoom calls with him and also then working every afternoon, right? Trying to manage and balance through that time. But what I recognized was that he was really struggling. He was struggling to read and he was struggling to write. I remember him taking at least 30 minutes to write one sentence and I could not figure out why. We were lucky because my mother-in-law is a retired reading specialist. So she would Zoom in, addition to his regular Zoom, she'd Zoom in with us daily and provide direct instruction for him. Not necessarily OG, but she did have that, that expertise. And then I would work with him as well. But things just weren't sticking. Mm -hmm. And I, I still remember these large post-it notes all over our dining room windows. And we were wearing sight words on hats, like everything we could to like help him learn how to read. And I had two older children and I, and I saw the process for them. So I knew something, something wasn't right. So fast forward, we did not enroll him in public school that year. We put him in private because he would have been in first grade again over Zoom or every other day in public. So it was a funny experience though. We get to private and, you know, he gets an A in reading. And everything was fine. And I was like, still not okay. He's not reading. And so we brought him back in district to have him evaluated. And I guess that's one of the things I learned along the way. Someone happened to say, you know, your home district is responsible for evaluating your child. So I thought that was that was very helpful for me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known where to stop or start. So we brought him back in and had you know, a full evaluation. And they said, oh yeah, specific learning disability, really interesting conversation in that PPT meeting where they asked us to decide whether he should be in special education. <laughs> so looking back, that's not really the way it should go, right? We know it's, it's a collaborative decision and we really need the expertise of all members at the table. Regardless, we brought him back in district he still failed to progress despite intervention, et cetera. And then, you know, the story just goes on. We ended up having outside evals and he ended up being, we mediated with our district and he's in a specialized school for dyslexic learners. But through all the tears and all the late nights and all of the research, I realized that I wanted to help other parents who were on the same journey. And that's how I came into advocacy. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. 
you know what I find with families there and the moms especially always say that there's this gut instinct that something isn't quite and for sure just speaking with a parent a few days ago that is just having that instinct and wanted to reach out to me and I, I wanted to just say like that those feelings are valid it's good for you to 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 recognize that and go with that don't discount that feeling that something isn't feeling quite right with your child you know them best yeah so. i completely agree and i think that's what kept propelling me forward to you know find answers for my child was that gut instinct yeah. um and i think the older we get and the more we listen like the stronger that instinct becomes right right definitely so we were looking at your website, which is beautiful, by the way, and we will share the link to that in the show notes for everyone. There's just such so many wonderful uh, sections on there to check out. So on the Right to Read Advocacy website, uh, Jennifer, you share this question with families that may be visiting the site. And something that you like to explore is the question, what's the family vision for student success? And from your standpoint as an advocate, what does that look like to you when you begin working with a family? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking and visiting the site. I mean, I think when we start working with families, you really want to start at the end with the end in mind, right? Like where are we going? What does this child need to receive a free and appropriate public education? And what does success look like to not only the family, but also to the child. I think so often we have these conversations with professionals or maybe with like a spouse, other adults, and we we neglect, not on purpose, but to really ask the child, you know, what it is that they need. How could their school day be more, you know, successful? What would help them succeed in school? So I think looking at the whole family, the parent's perspective and the child's as well, it's really helpful when you're putting together a plan to support that family through advocacy. I love that. And I think that's such an important part to bring up because so often I think we forget to include the child's perspective and that is so important. And that's something that Emily and I speak to often, but that is something often that is overlooked when setting goals or, you know, looking at what's working or what's not working. And when we bring the child into their own learning journey, it's so empowering. Absolutely. And I think we need to start with hearing their voice, you know, very young. I just, I had a call recently with a client and they have a sixth grade student and I was saying, well, how do they feel about X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, well, I really don't know. I said, well, let's start by asking those questions. And then it was also, has your child been included in an IEP meeting before? No. All right. Well, maybe they can start, you know, with 10 minutes in this upcoming meeting, because now we're eventually going to be transitioning into high school, right? Where they really need to advocate for themselves. Or I have an older child who receives accommodations on a 504. He sits in every meeting and says which accommodations are working. I don't know, right? Like he is the one who weighs in and says whether things are working for him or not. So really important to get their perspective. Absolutely. So Jennifer, why do people seek advocates and what services can you can you offer families? Sure. I mean, in general, people seek advocates to help them through the special education process, right? To get support for their student who might be or should be receiving services through an IEP or 504. When clients call us, it's typically around um, their student having, you know, 
struggling with reading or maybe not getting the accommodations that they need as a dyslexic learner. So our clients, you know, they're, they're very specific with reaching out when they have needs for their dyslexic learner. So when parents often come to us, they've hit a wall, they're not getting the support that they need uh, within the district, perhaps their child really struggling to read, but the district refuses to evaluate. And so then we kind of work on a strategy on how to approach that request. And at Right to Read Advocacy, we really look to empower parents so that they can continue to be the advocate because we're not with them their whole lives, right? So <laughs> they call with these concerns and, and, and we work together for a while, but we really look to empower our parents to then carry forth the advocacy work. Right. And we've talked about this in the past with other advocates that, you know, this whole process can feel like another job. And it's so overwhelming and having the support of an advocate, I think really is just one other tool in your toolkit, but a big one, right. To help you feel like that, you know, knowledge is power. Just having that support is so, so helpful. Um, But yes, I think that many parents, I think you would probably agree with this, come at a point where they're feeling very frustrated. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, and I think back and that's the exact time, you know, that I reached out for an advocate because I was frustrated and I didn't know what I didn't know, right? Like you just are thinking about your child and what they need and you can see they're not getting what they need, but how do you approach that? I mean, there's a process, there are, you know, laws and regulations in place um, and procedures and safeguards. And I didn't have that understanding at the time. So I think it's really important, you know, if possible for parents to even if it's not an advocate, if it's others who have gone before them on this journey to gather that information um, that they need and to also not feel so alone. I remember feeling very alone at the beginning and I didn't know what I was doing. You know, in between Zoom work calls, I'm on Zoom IEP calls and then you get off and you're like, you think you're crazy. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, always good to have the support of others who have gone through it before, before you. Yes. So, Let's say one of our listeners may be thinking right now, I would like to hire an advocate, but they're brand new to this. They've never had to even think about it before, but now they're leaning in that direction. They're feeling very frustrated with the whole IEP process or or lack thereof. What are some things that people should look for or ask when choosing the right advocate for them? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, like anything else or any other type of service provider, you really want to have, you know, a good fit with your advocate and know that you work well with them. But I think here's another time to lean on your network that you're forming. So asking other parents in your community, uh, maybe perhaps who they have had for an advocate before in, in sharing their their positive and or negative experiences. You know, there are other organizations that you could reach out to. Typically, each state has a parent advocacy center of some sort. You could start start there just to gather information. And also, you know, we have Decoding Dyslexia, International Dyslexia Association. And while they don't provide advocates, what they often provide are other perhaps Facebook groups or listservs where you can ask these questions. Um, I'm also a member, and as you referenced at the beginning, thank you, the Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates, you know, and that has a very large listserv. So it's easy enough just for me to say, 
you know, I, I'm looking for an advocate in X state or X area, and people are very generous with posting uh, their recommendations there. And, you know, if you're a member, you can kind of also sort for who is an advocate with uh, the organization. So those are some ways, sorry, to get started in looking for an advocate. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd also would, would want to know how involved they've been within my school district. Perhaps are they familiar with the personnel or the ever-changing personnel within the district? And then also, uh, you know, their style, like some advocates, our first advocate was very aggressive. Like, is that the style that you want at the IEP table? Um, perhaps they won't share that with you directly, but by asking others in your community, I think you can gauge that. And I also think advocacy, you know, it's an investment and knowing what that investment is up front is really important. You know, some advocates bill by or most bill by the hour. And, and what does that mean to you? So I had a very big surprise. This is the reason I went into advocacy because our advocate was not sending a bill for a long time, even though I kept asking. So four months into it, I got a, an invoice for $4,000 and I was kind of beside myself. <laughs> so that's not really our approach. I, I think it's really important to make sure that your advocate has transparent pricing as well, right? So, and, and what do they charge for? What's included? So, so just a few things to consider as you begin your search for an advocate. And so Jennifer, if we, if someone were to go to your website, would those things be listed there in terms of like price points and things like that? Or is that something that they, uh, someone would have to like reach out and ask? Yeah. Typically we have someone reach out and ask, and here's the reason why, okay. because at Right to Read, we also have a membership organization. So I have other advocates and we can chat about this in a bit, but who are members. So depending upon where you are in the country, there might be different price points. Okay. And, and that is that reason for myself. Um, I have, you know, hourly coaching packages per se, but then I also offer a flat fee. That's like all inclusive, like everything you could think of right. for three months. It's the first time I've seen that model. It was really important to me to offer that because of my own experience. Right. And I think it's great that you, because you have the personal experience, you know the types of things that people are looking for and how to sort of navigate all of those different services that maybe somebody just wants the benefit of being in something like a membership, but somebody might need a lot more hands-on support, right? Yeah. So just to clarify, the membership piece is, is for advocates who are practicing advocacy. Okay. So that's just okay. a different. So, um, that's different. so we can chat about that too. Yes. Okay. But we do offer the coaching, mm -hmm. you know, three, six hours of coaching, an hourly option, and then this full service advocacy piece that's you know, more, more time with me than you probably want. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. So Jennifer, when you have families kind of reach out to you, what are some of the common frustrations? I know you kind of talked about how they're frustrated with the district, but what do you find are some frustrations that families may have in terms of what brought them to seek help for advocacy work beyond just, for, you know, wondering about the testing and things like that? Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it is typically around what I'm seeing is students are not identified as dyslexic, but their parent has that gut feeling that something is wrong. So I feel like we see a lot of that. You know, how do I get my child evaluated for dyslexia? It, you know, and there are times when the district, even when you ask, they're still not going to evaluate. So I have found some workarounds to that by seeking outside sources that I'm happy 
resources that I'm happy to share that were really important to me because what I think you need is data collection. Like you need data. If the district's not going to give it to you, you need to come up with your own data to be able to tell your story, right? So a few things I did, and I, I believe Linda Mood Bell is across the country. There are these Linda Mood Bell centers, you know, and I just got a learning profile um, with them. And I, I think we spent, you know, three, my son spent three hours. And then I was like, ah, here is this information I need. Like, this is what they're saying is going on in the district. But an outside source is saying, no, he's significantly significantly impaired with reading, right? There's also a great resource called Early Bird Learning. Mm -hmm. And that is a screener for pre-K through two right now. They're looking to launch their third and fourth grade screener. That's something you can look into online. I'm not sure if you've talked about that service already. Sorry if you have, but um, I like their model. I like that you can do the screening online from anywhere that you get a full report, right? Comprehensive report. And you spend 45 minutes with a literacy specialist to understand the report, right? So I think that is really helpful. And again, that's data that you can bring back to the school district and say, you, you know, you weren't providing an evaluation. I went outside and there are clear signs here that my child is dyslexic. Mm -hmm. So once, once you kind of helped parents get through that point where perhaps they've had the evaluation now at the district and now they're receiving services, do you find that your work often encompasses helping to set goals or to do some of that progress monitoring to ensure that services are being done to aid the student? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's really important to remember that we're just not going to set it and forget it. Like these goals and objectives need to re be reviewed regularly. You know, we have families that come to us that have not in no fault of their own, but looked at the IEP in a year and we're like, well, what kind of progress has this child made? Well, we don't know besides their progress report, which has, you know, satisfactory or progressing listed, but where is the data from the past year, right? You've missed a whole year of data collection and progress monitoring data. So I'm really big on that. And I prefer to work with families through that, let them know, okay, we, we need data for each of these objectives um, and not only collecting it, but like also analyzing it. What is it showing? And if your intervention is not working, how are we going to, you know, pivot on that intervention? And you, you can't wait a year for that, right? Absolutely. Great. Time's definitely of the essence. Mm -hmm. So Casey and I, we've all, all three of us, actually, if anyone is listening to this, <laughs> we've all been in IEP meetings, yeah. right? And what do you envision as a productive IEP meeting? Yeah, that's a, that's a solid question. <laughs> a productive <laughs> IEP meeting would be nice. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think that that starts well in advance of the meeting, right? Okay. So again, this could be weeks in review, particularly if you're getting ready for your annual meeting. Ideally, you have all your progress monitoring data that you're going to review and you'll be able to speak to the parent should really take the time to outline any concerns, any strengths of the child, any challenges, and really, again, asking that student, what's been going on? How are you feeling? What else do you need for this upcoming year? Maybe it's a transition year. They're getting ready to go into middle school. That landscape is going to be so different for the dyslexic learner. Mm -hmm. So what do we need for that transition? So I, I think to have a productive PPT meeting, there's a lot of prep that goes into it beforehand. I also think that parent letter and that parent statement is really 
important. So drafting that parent statement or having an advocate help you draft that outlines your concerns and really, you know, sets the agenda for the meeting. It happens to you, but so often you go into these PBT or IEP meetings and, you know, there's no agenda, right? Like you haven't said it, I'm going to set it for you. So I'll submit an agenda, right? With the, the parent form as well, because you, you want to know so you can be an active participant in the meeting. And then once you're in the meeting, I think it's really important to one, not attend a meeting alone if you're a parent, like always bring someone else with you, right? Because otherwise it can feel really overwhelming with this deluge of information. And then also if your state allows like recording and transcribing that that meeting so you can refer back to it. And then obviously within the meeting, just really having a chance for everyone at the table to be heard and looking at those goals and objectives and making sure they're in the best interest of the child. Yes, I love how you've brought back in the conversations to have with children in terms of what they need and asking them those important questions. And I just think that that is just such an important piece that we cannot yeah. overlook. And if, if you don't mind me sharing an antidote there, mm. I, I just have one of the funniest stories because I, I honestly too never thought to ask my second grader some of these questions. And he was in a summer program, the specialized school. And someone said to me, well, well, you should ask him, like, would he want to go to this school? And I just remember this so clearly. I pick him up from the summer program and I was like, would you ever want to go to school here? He's like, yes. Can I go to school here? And I'm thinking, oh, good God. How the heck are we going to afford this? I mean, this is, you know, $60,000 a year. We can't do this. I don't know why I asked the question, right? So anyway, so then the next day I pick him up from school and I say, he says to me, mom, can I go to school here yet? Right. And, and then, and then a week later, he's from the shower, mom, am I ready? Can I go to school there again? You know, but just by asking that one question, I had such insight into the fact that he was so comfortable there and like he was regaining his sense of self-confidence. Right. And it took a while, you know, but we we made it work and, and he's in this specialized environment and he is just soaring. So that's exciting. But yeah, I'm asking your child. It's amazing what insight they give. Right. Right. It really is. And I think that's one of the reasons why Emily and I have had multiple episodes about saying dyslexia and talking to your child about dyslexia and actually engaging in this conversation instead of it being something that's secretive or not talked about, like bringing them into that conversation so that they have an understanding and they can be empowered in knowing themselves as a learner so that it's not shadowed in shame. Instead, it really is just part of you and you can understand yourself. And then that is what leads to true advocacy for the child to be able to speak up to their needs. So when I'm thinking about, you know, some of the advice that you may offer for families that are just starting out on their journey with dyslexia, what would be one or two things that you would like families to kind of walk away with? I think if you can learn as much as you can, right? It's a very long journey. I mean, my child who's dyslexic is very young and I have years and years to go to get him through that college transition eight eight years from now. So learning as much as you can, but really, you know, building your network of trusted friends, advocates, professionals, family members that you have people to lean on when you have questions, because so many have gone before us in this journey and they're really willing to share right? Because they too don't want you to kind of suffer maybe the way their family has or their child has. So really just seeking support 
I think I felt isolated at first when we were trying to figure out the diagnosis. And I'm a person who wants to research, you know, to the nth degree, which will get you far, but only so far. So I think when I started connecting with other parents and hearing they had the same challenges, that was helpful for me and for my peace of mind. I just, I ironically had a very good friend who is a literacy evaluator. And I remember saying to her, is my child ever going to be able to learn how to read? Like, I didn't even know. I didn't understand. And she's like, yes, he will. And I'm just hearing that. I was like, okay, you know, we can do this. I just, I thought my kid would never, never learn how to read. Right. So I know, I know so much more now, but just asking that question really gave me um, some peace of mind. Yeah. I hear that question a lot. Parents ask that. I'm sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they do. It's very common. And, you know, you, you've shared so much of what you do as an advocate and many of our listeners are educators who work in intervention settings. And I've had uh, experiences and conversations with people who would like to perhaps pursue becoming an advocate additionally to their intervention training. They may have an Orton-Gillingham and so forth. What is the best advice you can offer for someone that may want to pursue that training? And where could they go to learn more about that? Sure. I mean, yes, yes. Please come to our side. We need more advocates. Um, <laughs> there are actually advocacy deserts in the, in the U.S. There are, there are places where they're just right. There are not advocates. So if an educator is interested, and, and I, again, I'll share this antidote, and this is where the membership of our business uh, came to get, you know, came from being was I was chatting with two former educators, one who was recently retired and one who is planning to retire 20 plus years in education, both trained in OG, ready to dive into advocacy, but didn't really have an understanding of the business side. And I spent, you know, the last 20 years in PR and I had a consulting business for 10 years and I knew how to run a business, right? Like that was my strength. And so from that came this membership offering. You can become a member of Right to Read Advocacy, and we will take care of all of your business and administrative needs so that you can advocate kind of without all the other headaches. So that's where where that came from. But just to get started, I would highly recommend um, COPA, again, the Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates. Um, There's also the Dyslexia Training Institute out of California, both offering, you know, courses for parents, educators, et cetera, who want to become involved in, in advocacy. And call me, I'm happy to talk to you because mm-hmm. <laughs> we need more qualified advocates. Absolutely. <laughs> we do. We really do. And we there, really there do. Are, yeah, there really are some areas that are lacking that. So it's it's great that you know um, that you've shared some of those websites and and materials that people can look at. Do you have other recommendations of websites and for families and educators that are wanting to learn maybe more about dyslexia or about advocacy work? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I echo some that you've actually mentioned on previous podcasts, so I hope you don't mind. Of course, you know, Overcoming Dyslexia is the bookshelf book that you need, but I found that book, you can't read it cover to cover. I couldn't. It's a great resource right? Like go to the section that you need at the time. Otherwise I feel like it's a little overwhelming. I'll never forget turning on, turning the specialized school section. I was like, why would I send my child to a specialized school? 
Of course, little did I know then how important that was for him. But you know, the other neat thing is she, they offer the Shea Witches offer a free course on Coursera that mirrors, right? That book. So I found that really helpful. And I'm, I love school. So I loved the little like, you know, questions they asked along the way. It was like very interactive. So that was a good one. You've mentioned also rights law, but I love their emotions to advocacy book. And I also really love all about assessments. That was really key for me. And I've done some of their online training and learned all about the bell curve, you know, so that was super helpful as well. And then I just recently attended one of his uh, trainings in person. So it was helpful to reiterate all about the bell curve there. And then a family perspective, I think, of course, Fish in a Tree is a great book to read with your with your kiddos or to have them read. I heard it's supposed to be coming to Broadway. Who knows? So that would be amazing. That's what I heard. Wow. So we'll be on the lookout for that. And then also, I'm not sure if you've mentioned Finding My Superpower, a book for dyslexic thinkers. Perhaps, yes, right? We have all the, the same favorites. But, you know, that is the book that I read to my my kiddo or he he read some of it he was younger and that's when he realized he had dyslexia so he was reading the book and he said mom is this me I said yes it is so I thought that was helpful yeah I've spoken about how it there are books can be the vehicle to open that conversation with our children Uh, and just and I think you beautifully highlighted that um, in favor with your own with your own son. So thank you. So Jennifer, we uh, are so grateful for you and the work that you do, and for coming on here and and giving us a window into um, advocacy work. How can listeners learn more about you? Tell us where can they find you? Uh, website, workshops, your membership, anything that you'd like to share. Awesome. Thanks so much. So yeah, of course you can find us at righttoreadadvocacy.com. We've just um, started a series of webinars um, that you could find there, including our assistive tech webinar, which was really great just recently. Um, We had a struggling reader webinar yesterday, OG coming up, another one in January about literacy avowals. So lots of good content there because I really just want parents, you know, to learn as much as they can. All free content. And then we're always willing to deliver presentations to, you know, teachers group, PTOs, coding dyslexia groups any chance we can to just educate others um, along the way. Cause I think you can just sometimes get that one piece, that one piece of information that was missing in your puzzle and it can really help your child or your advocacy efforts. So always willing to share. Absolutely. Thank you. So um, we will have links for our listeners on uh, in the show notes for uh, reaching Jennifer's website, the um, right to read advocacy. And we'll don't forget, we'll also have a blog post to accompany this episode. And we thank you so much um, for listening and tuning into us today. Uh, We are really looking forward to continuing season three with all of you. Don't forget to check the website togetherinliteracy.com. And if you are enjoying this podcast, we so appreciate you sharing it with someone else, leaving us a rating and some feedback. And we would love to share that in future episodes. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time.
Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.